Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, we are talking to Dr. Karen Lindsay of Elon University, and her title is Strategic Communication Methods for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. She is the Assistant Professor from the Department of Strategic Communication. Dr. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you, and this topic is intriguing. But before we dive into it, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your background? Wow. So I don't even know where to begin, but I'll just begin. Uh, my background is in the area of primarily public relations. My degrees are all centered around corporate communications, public relations, and to some degree, marketing. But Generally, it's public relations, advertising, PR, um, crisis communication, all of those areas. Uh, my degrees are from various institutions, and I encourage people always to mix it up that way. But my undergraduate degree is from the University of Wisconsin. You'll hear that in my voice a little bit as we're talking. I go into Wisconsinese sometimes. Um, and then my master's degree is from Mississippi College, and I was a vice president um, there. And while I was there, I thought, why not get my master's, right? You know, you're working there, you might as well get it. And then my PhD is from Azusa Pacific University in California. So three degrees, three very different places, and it's made me a better human. <laughs> awesome. Well, in, in reading your bio, you worked across multiple industries and have a lot of experience. So I am curious, what led you to focus on the intersection between strategic communication and diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, I would say it is my own identity. I have been a leader in corporate environments and higher education environments, but as a Black woman, those intersections of race, gender, and leadership can be a very powerful thing. And so I, as I was working in those industries, I was also hiring young professionals. And as I looked around with some of the professionals I was hiring, I realized they didn't know a lot of things. And so I would always be complaining about who was teaching them, who's teaching them. And I couldn't find anybody who was teaching them things that I wanted them to know. And so I thought maybe that's my calling to be the one who's teaching them. So I started teaching as an adjunct. And then I looked around as to what credentials I needed to do that full time. And of course a PhD was hanging out there and um, that's how I started to get into it. But it was important to me because of um, the passion that I have around the things that I experienced, my own lived experiences as a Black woman in leadership, being mistaken for not the boss in certain situations. When I walk in the room, they'll look to my white colleague and think he or she is the leader. And sometimes I would let them go on with that. But for the most part, my lived experiences is really what got me into this work and this kind of research. And then, of course, doing the consulting work that I do has made me very passionate about it. 
So as we were prepping for today's call, uh, you mentioned that you um, get a lot of referrals and people talk a lot about your work and and the things that you do within the classroom. Since you've taken this direction with this intersection of strategic communications and DE&I, what have your students been able to get out of it? Yeah, so um, it's really interesting because I don't teach, I, I have taught courses that focus on diversity at the college level, but generally I don't teach courses that that's all we talk about. I generally try to make sure that we're talking about the business impact, the communication impact, and all of the other things that go along with it. So generally, my students get out of what is diversity as part of a total business practice. It is not a one-off. It is not a separate piece of the strategic plan. And so my students, I have conversations with them about how this is important for business. And, you know, we've been saying that in diversity circles for years. And so I'm hoping that this uh, next generation gets that idea that this is not just about doing the nice thing. It's doing the things that are important to having successful growth and, and maintaining whatever momentum you have in business right now. So that's kind of what I, I want and feel my students get out of it. Fusion Risk Management is your North Star for operational resilience. The Fusion Framework System provides a foundation that enables you to understand how your business works how it breaks, and how to put it back together again, which allows you to make data-driven decisions so you can anticipate, prepare, respond, and learn through business disruptions and major crisis events. Head to the link in our show notes to request a demo today. Fusion Risk Management, building a more resilient world together. You know, you bring up a good point, and I don't mean to take us on the tangent, but I was reading something yesterday, and uh, I think it might have been a McKinsey report and some some different things, and and everything I found was the business case for DE&I. But when I think back to the history books, before DE&I was ever used, before, you know, when the first BIPOC walked into corporate America, and they were the only of the only of the only, they weren't talking about why it was good for business. To be inclusive, it was basic. I need to survive and provide for my family and give me the same opportunity as you give everybody else to go to work. So it's interesting that now it's like, oh, let's justify it by it's great for business. But to your point, it's really just what we need to do just to treat people well. <laughs> right. And and there's um there's a book that I highly recommend to your listeners. It's called The Some of Us by Heather McGee. And the book is all about what racism costs everyone in terms of our society. That is not just about doing the nice thing for that group of people over there or this gender or whatever it might be. It is about, this is all about systems and processes. It's all about how we're all affected by it, even if you think you're not. And so I'm a big fan of, yeah, business case, but also um, business case means we're all impacted by it. So don't separate yourself out by race or gender or any other identifying factor. It's about all of those things, if you will. So I know that you uh, have a, a a strong niche in higher education, although you've worked in several different industries. Where are you seeing companies get wrong when it comes to strategic communications and DEI? Yeah, I think um, there is a report by my former employer that I absolutely adore, and it is um, called, it's the Edelman Trust Barometer, but it is a sub-report 
on um, social justice and how that's gone over the past several years, particularly, you know, with the 2020, 2021 highlighting of, oh, this is a thing now. Um, and so I think that with that movement has come this idea of what companies need to do. And once again, we've been talking about it for years, but I think that we've never had a way to operationalize it. And so what I see companies doing wrong is putting together committees and employee resource groups. And I'm all for doing those, but guess what? We all know, she's laughing hysterically, um, it, it needs to come from the top. And so I'm all about, which is why I won't take on a client unless I can talk to the CEO or president of the university. If your HR person comes to me and says, hey, Dr. Lindsay, we'd like to hire you to do some consulting. I'm like, that's great. When can I get a meeting with your CEO or the president or you know, of the university or chancellor, whomever is really setting the strategic plan and goals for the institution or organization? So I think what companies are getting wrong is that if the CEO or top executive is a little nervous about entering into this conversation or this space, they say, well, okay, we still need to do it. So let HR do it or let some employee resource group do it. And so my my thought is what we're getting wrong is that it's the commitment from the top. And, and nothing I'm saying here is new information, but every day I go into organizations or every Every time I go into organizations, I see this as the issue. What is the top leader saying about it? And then how is that embedded throughout your strategic goals and priorities? And so that's what I often talk to organizations about. Those organizations that are doing something moving forward, I think those are the ones that have the strongest voice with their top executive, not just the vice president of diversity and inclusion, not just the vice president of HR, but your top decision maker, along with if they're in a public organization, they have a board, the board is supportive, like there's all those power structures that are supporting, we need to do this, and here are some places we can enter into it. So you actually lead me to my next question, which is for the companies that have gotten it right, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What do you see? Because I've even looked at some different research points about what should we be measuring when it comes to DEI? And what are the things that we might be measuring, but they're really not adding value to what the real purpose is for these initiatives? So I'm interested in your thoughts. So there, there are a lot of things that not only depend on your industry, so it depends on what industry you're in. So uh, if I'm in media, there might be something I'd measure over there. If I'm GM and I'm building vehicles, I might measure something a little different there because you have different audiences and different um, business goals that you need to reach. And so what I, I say is that, yes, it is important to have really three things. The first thing is that you want that executive and board commitment. And so that's one of the things that I've seen that makes the biggest difference. The second thing that you need is, again, how are we embedding this in our strategic priorities. And so if there is some kind of hiring initiative and people are always like, oh, no quotas, whatever, you can, you need to set some numbers and think about it. I'm all for quotas. Quota does not equal lesser talent. It does not equal lesser qualifications. And so, you know, when people say quotas, they are, oh no, that's just hiring people because no quotas really give you a metric. And so give me a number, I'll do it. And I'll hire the best talent that might be a person of color, that might be a woman, are all of those things. And so I think those metrics, people being afraid to have certain metrics um, is one thing that I see people 
um, walking away from, but it could help their ability to implement. And then the, the last thing I see is, again, it's kind of this idea of doing it well versus not doing it well, is when it starts to get, there's too many people working on it, so to speak. I think that the learning journey with diversity, equity, inclusion, and even might I add the word justice, is this idea of understanding the framework around systems and processes and knowing that this learning journey is like any other part of your business. How am I going to improve it? What do I need to measure? What do I need to tweak? Oh, guess what? We got something wrong. That doesn't mean we walk away from it. It means we correct it. What corrective action do we need to take? But with this idea of the term that is being thrown around now in circles, you probably know it is JEDI, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I like the JEDI idea because it you know, has a whole nother connotation. But the bottom line is when you're doing JEDI work, it is all about looking at all of these systems. And again, things may not be perfect, but that doesn't mean you give up on it. And when you look at businesses that are most successful, they fail forward, right? There's been mistakes that they make and they correct it. And then they come out with the next version of whatever it is. But with uh, this Jedi work, we get so afraid that we haven't found the solution in 2.5 years. So it's failed. And I'm saying it's ongoing. It's It goes just like your business plans. Right now, I tell my organizations, don't send me a five-year business plan because the world is changing too rapidly. So you can't even do a five-year business plan. Maybe two or three years now with all the plagues that are happening to us, we can't even do you know a one to two-year business plan, but we can plan. And we can say within that plan, we have to be flexible. We have to find ways to truly adjust when things go wrong because they will. And that's just business, right? Yes. Yeah. We make this so it has to be perfect right out of the box. It's not going to be. So get over it. It's not. Going yes. to be. <laughs> that's what I tell people. So one of the reasons that really excited me about today's episode is I recall having a conversation with the set of communications practitioners and we were discussing a panel and we were talking about how communication um, and the role of communicators within the organization also have a role when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And an individual in that conversation said, well, great, when it's time to talk about diversity and communication, uh, Vanessa, you can talk about that. And I was the only person of color in that conversation. And I said, well, how about you talk about what you're doing as a communicator? And this was a older white male. And I said, because at the end of the day, you have a responsibility here too, because what the company puts out in terms of what they're communicating, it should tie back to our core values, to our vision to our mission, to what we say is important. And if it's not reflected in everything that we're communicating, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, then it's not consistent, right? So I know we're looking to wrap here, but just one final question for you. What should should leaders and companies consider when thinking about DE&I and related communications? So again, it goes back to the way that I started. The reason why I will only talk to the top executive in an organization before working with them is because I need to know your positionality on it. You can't always throw it to the black woman, which is typically where it's thrown. Let me just say that honestly. And so I ask them specifically, if you don't have a position on it, then we have nothing to discuss because you absolutely need to know what do you believe about this? And sometimes I feel like, um, and, and my PhD has nothing to do with psychology, but, but sometimes I feel like a psychologist because it's like, 
how were you raised? What do you believe about it? What does your family say? But I have to know that because that shapes who you are. It shapes your own identity. We all have identities. And so I tell executives that first, you've got to know your positionality, know your identity in this. Then if you are still committed, even if you didn't grow up around people of color or anything like that, then you need to know that you might have some bias, but you might, you can still be committed and learn and think about, so what do I need to learn? How am I going to learn? How am I going to listen? Because listening is a huge part of communication that we always forget about. And then once I listen, how do I interpret and tell the stories or how do I amplify the voices? And I don't like it when people say, I'm going to give voice to that group of people. You don't give me voice. I have a voice. You can amplify my voice as a white male. You have more, more um, maybe in an organization, you might have more, get more attention. And what I like to tell executives also is that the power of you saying something about diversity, equity, and inclusion is so much stronger because people don't expect it of you. They expect me to say it. But if I can equip you with good storytelling, good data, and just an authentic caring, then you've won half the battle there. And, and, and again, it's this idea of what's your positionality, what's your identity, knowing those things, and then knowing how are you going to listen and then share out into the organizations those stories around shared values, shared organizational goals as well. As we wrap up, where can our listeners connect with you after this episode? I am all over Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of that. Typically, you can find me by Dr. K L I N Z, as in zebra Y, at Dr. K L I N Z Y. The interesting thing I tell people too about my social platforms is that you get a glimpse into me as a person because, again, that's my story. I do other things other than teach um, at a university. And so you get to see me as a whole person. And that is also a way that people build trust. Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Aspalis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.